welcome to this week's episode of the Master Instructor Roundtable. I am Wendy Batts here with my friend and co-host, Mr. Marty Miller. Marty, how are you? Great, Wendy. How's it going today? Oh, you know, it's a perfect day out. Everything is good. So I'm super, I always say this, I always say this and my producer hates it, but I get really excited about certain topics. And this is one that actually we got off of the Facebook page because there seems to be some anxiety about I get these new clients. I just got my certification and I have no idea where I'm starting. I don't know if I'm doing everything right. And I don't know if I am making the right choices based on what I'm seeing. So today's episode is all about don't overthink it. We've got all the answers for you, especially if you're new. You don't have to do anything besides plug and play. And so that's what we're talking about. Yeah, Wendy, I think this is a great topic when you brought it uh, up in our discussion for what we wanted to cover in the coming weeks. And, you know, you and I always go back to let the model be your best friend. And that's kind of what we mean is you've gone through, you've gotten your certification, now put it into use each and every day. So hopefully we'll kind of bring people back to the why behind they took, why they took the NASM CPT and we can go from there. Yeah. And I think the big, big thing that I want to stress is there's not really a wrong answer you just want to make sure that what you're doing is always safe with your clients and that you're meeting the expectations and the goals. And I think a lot of it too, and Marty, I know that you, you would agree with this. It's going to be about building the rapport. You have to start building the trust with your client. You have to have open lines of communication. You need to find out if there's certain exercises that, you know, irritate their knees or if there's something that they're uncomfortable doing, they absolutely do not like. And then you also want to find out the good things. What exercises did they enjoy? How did they feel the next day? Open lines of communication is what's going to make you successful. And then we give you the tools within the model to kind of plug and play on where to put things based on what you see. So, you know, that's that's going to be, I think, the big the big takeaway. And we haven't even started is there's really not a wrong answer as long as your client can do it. It's safe. The five kinetic chain checkpoints are online. And you feel confident about demonstrating it and know that it's something that they can achieve. Yeah. And another thing that you and I have talked about, Wendy, you know, building off your point is the NASMOPT model. And then you can throw in the corrective exercise specialist and the performance enhancement specialist. That's your toolbox. And then from there, you're going to decide what tools to take out when, depending on the client, what their needs are, what phase of training, what plane of motion they're in, all that fun stuff. So Hopefully today we can take what some people may think is a little complicated, but truly simplify it. That's the goal. So we're going to talk. The first is what you just said, the KISS method. And there's a lot of things that the last S can stand for, but we are going to say, keep it simple, silly or whatever. But you just got to keep it simple. Don't do these crazy exercises that are multi-joint and they're standing on a bozu ball, single leg with a body blade with their eyes closed and expect them to do very well. What is the outcome? What's the purpose? It's more of thinking sometimes that easy exercises for us is not easy for everyone because we're finding the dysfunction based on the assessment. So keep it simple. Don't overcomplicate things and and use the template follow just stick exercises in there <laughs> use the book <laughs> you know, and the keep it simple method wendy and the progressions and regressions as you know i started doing a lot more yoga and you know being um somebody who's hired a lot of group exercise instructors and you know we do the master trainer certification we do all this other stuff 
you know, sometimes the best workouts I have in yoga aren't the people that come up with the craziest poses. It's the people that can read the room and give a good pose, but know a progression up and a progression and a regression down. And that covers everybody in the room. And they're very good in the transitions from one to another. They're not in there to show off with what they can do when their yoga poses, right? So same thing with us as fitness professionals is it's you get a lot out of doing something simple incredibly well. So mm -hmm. that's, you know, where you're talking about not doing things like with your eyes closed, juggling fire with a BOSU ball and a body blade. Like, yeah, it looks like a lot's going on, but it's too much going on. We want perfect, right? We want really good things that are done with close to perfect execution compared to something that's complex with a lack of even, you know, coming close to what the outcome should be from an exercise. Yeah. And, and we've done, I know many webinars on the importance of having exercises and knowing proper regressions and progressions. I think, you know, especially if you're new, it's important to think, what is the prime mover? What muscle are you trying to work? And then think, okay, what are some really good exercises that are going to activate whatever muscle that is? So for example, we often need to start activating the glutes we know that the glutes are pretty much in every <laughs> every individual not as strong as they probably should be or could be and so even just doing a basic floor bridge while that seems like okay that's easy i think i've said this multiple times and i'll say it until they tell me that i can't do a podcast and they fire me that's one of the first exercises i have everyone do as part of their warm-up i have them go in and do a bridge whether it's a floor bridge a ball bridge whatever it is weighted not weighted it depends on what level they are and how long they've been doing it because opening up the hips, getting the you know, hip flexors in a lengthened positions, getting those glutes to activate, thinking about reciprocal inhibition as one muscle on one side contracts, the other one has to lengthen. I'm trying to get that movement within the hips, you know, as, as ideal as possible. So therefore, when I do other exercises moving forward within their program, I know that I've done the best to try to get those little guys woken up. So therefore they're going to be able to execute the way that I want them to, which was going to limit compensations and also help with the quality of movement. So sometimes we think, Oh, if they do something, it's going to be too easy and they're not going to want to come back. But I think that's where the acute variables, especially tempo comes into play as well, because it may look easy. Think of a pushup. Oh, anybody can do a pushup, but can you do a four to one pushup with good form coming out of scapula, you know, scapular retraction, abs in, glutes squeezed. And can you do 12 to 15 of those maintaining that alignment? It's extremely difficult, even for your military guys that have to do 100 push-ups a day. Slowing it down and, and really thinking through each movement is what's going to bring the quality and you're going to have better results later. Yeah, I think when you made me think of something, and I'll make this real short, is evaluate the phase or the tool you're about to use. And is it appropriate? Like when, you know, uh, my full-time job at technology and we have a line of equipment called pure strength. I mean, it's in the name strength and we have a glute bridge, best glute bridge out there. And people are like, yeah, it, the starting weight's heavy. It's like, it's a strength based exercise. If you need to be in stability, that's what you have body weight for. And I'm like, oof, like, you know, people just tend to forget that there's different phases of trainings and there's different tools for different things. And they just, you know, it's like, go back to the model, go back to where this person needs to be and reverse engineer an exercise and say, okay, 
Is this appropriate? Is this a stability? Is this strength? Is it power? What am I changing with the variables? And that's where I think some people just overlook things and then they start to complicate something that is very simple to understand. Well, and it brings us to the last bullet point on this. If you don't know where to start, look at your assessment. Mm-hmm. And that's the beauty of NASM. That's why I love this company. I love the model. I love everything about it when it comes to, I don't know where to start with someone and that's okay. But if you know how to do an assessment and you're very thorough on movement and you put someone in the five kinetic chain checkpoints and there's a, a, even a slight deviation, you mark it down. We have a check sheet, go to NASM.org, download the overhead squat assessment check sheet. And then have them try to perform the overhead squat with their arms up. You can do a modified squat with their arms down. If they can't squat, there's pulling, pushing assessments. There are multiple assessments to choose from. And then you just check mark it. Guys, it's that simple. You just have to identify what's not working optimally. And if you can do that, then we give you the solutions table, which we're going to show you. We're going to go into detail about that. But if you don't do an assessment, We've talked about that. That assessment is the blueprint. It tells you everything. And then you just plug and play. Agreed. So Wendy, I'll let you kind of jump in here and tell us what we're looking at. Yeah. So, you know, this is a combination of what you would learn with corrective exercise. So if you guys have only taken your CPT, that is an unbelievable foundation certification to have. It gives you an understanding of the model. It lets you know. Again, assessments are going to be key. If you decide that you want to increase your knowledge and you want to go in more detail and depth about different types of assessments, then I'm a huge fan, and I know you are too, Marty, of mobility assessments. And here are some examples if you have not taken or taken the CES. Here's some examples of what those assessments look like. These can be done in two seconds or less. You put them up against a wall, you have them lunge forward. Does their knee touch the wall? Yes or no? That simple. You have them lay down and lift the leg. Is it bent? Yes or no? You know, lay on their, you know, face down in a prone position, bend their knees. Did their feet go out? Can When you're looking at them, does it make about 45 degrees from the floor to 90? You know, if you're looking at 90 into the floor, does it go right in the middle? Yes or no? Can you have them bend over and touch their toes? Can they lay flat and their arm touch the ground? Those are some of the mobility assessments that you learn within the CES that are complementary to what you learned in the CPT. So overhead squat, if the feet turned out, we look at our solutions table, it's the lateral, you know, lateral gastroc is going to be overactive. You're going to look at, you know, the um, short head of the bicep femoris, that's going to be overactive. But then you do a mobility assessment, which is where you're going to have that knee touch the wall, but they can easily touch the wall. So what does that tell you? Okay, well, if their feet went out, compensation, but they have the range of motion, which because their knee can touch the wall, then it's not an issue of a restriction. You don't need to foam roll and stretch it. It's actually an issue with a weakness that is allowing that compensation to occur. So it's just going into more detail. But if you just nail the overhead squat or single leg squats to begin with, these are just other things that you can branch out to do. So if you're a CPT and want to go further, Learn the mobility assessments because it will pinpoint exactly what to do. But if you're not there yet, then just really practice more and more and more on that overhead squat because perfect practice is going to make perfect execution. Practice on everyone. Marty and I even practice on each other. I'm walking down the street. Marty's like, what's up with your feet? They're turning out. I'm like, not even aware. 
So yeah, that's, you know, always having people around you to let you know that you're a, a hot mess is always good too. Yeah. And for those of you just joining today on the Master Instructor Roundtable, I'm Marty Miller here with my co-host and fellow regional Master Instructor, Wendy Batts. And we're talking about don't overthink it. Just go back to the model, continue to study what you learned and hone your craft. And the answers are all there. So Wendy, great job talking about these mobility assessments that we added into the CES to give people that next layer and level of understanding of human movement. And from there, it's easier to see how to design your programs. So, you know, the optional ones and off of what Wendy talked about, you know, we would say that your movement assessment and then your mobility assessment, you know, your transitional with the overhead squat, maybe single leg squat modified are, yeah, must do's, maybe single leg squat with the split stance, all that. Then we do the mobility. From there, you can do a push pull, a squat overhead dumbbell press. So these are loaded because now you're going to see what happens when they have to start to move some amount of weight. These aren't maximum load tests. This isn't to get a one RM strength test. This is eight, 10, 12 repetitions, just to get a little bit of muscular fatigue to see if all of a sudden things break down. Common compensations Do their head shoot forward. Do they shrug their shoulders? Do they arch their low back? Are they compensating and cheating? You know, as you add a little load to it. So this will help you see what happens when you're about to put them into their workout or the resistance training portion. And we have our formal assessments, of course, but every set of every, you know, every rep of every set of every exercise is a progressive assessment because you could dial them in and all of a sudden the fourth rep, eighth rep, 12th rep, don't care. It, the form and technique starts to break down. Now you'd have to start saying, okay, it happened at the 12th rep. Is it because eight to 10 was about their limit and that's okay with the phase of training we're in, or I needed to get to 15 to 20. So maybe it's too much load. Or if it happened to third rep, did I totally pick the wrong exercise or are they mentally not cued into what I taught them? So these are, you know, ways to do the assessment. So we can do the loaded assessment, but carry that mindset over to every single set of every single rep and you'll be assessing all day long. Well, I had someone send a question. And so thank you for those questions about the overhead dumbbell press. Like, how is that an assessment? And think about this. If someone's doing an overhead squat with their hands over their head and you notice that their arms fall forward, you're going to mark that on your assessment sheet. And that's not weighted. So now if I have them sitting on a bench and I give them a, a set of 15s and tell them to do a military press or overhead press or call it whatever you want to call it. But basically their arms started at 90 degrees and they press their arms straight and I notice that their elbows are bent and they can't straighten their arms. Well, that is a good indication too that their pecs are really tight. If they can't keep their, their hands in line with their ears or even slightly forward without rounding, that's letting me see what's happening at the neck and at their shoulders. But a big thing too is, are they using their lower back? As someone lifts up, do you notice that yes, they can actually lift up and, and maintain proper alignment in the arms, but at the low back, it's starting to arch more. So it's, you know, they're, they're being able to do the exercise at the cost of, of arching their back. They're not then able to do that exercise correctly. So anything that you do, and that's, I think, really important to say that movements are always assessments because it doesn't matter what exercise you have someone do doing. If they can't do it correctly, the, you need to step back and ask yourself why. Well, I noticed this during their overhead squat. Why am I now going to load it? on day two, when I know that the extensibility isn't there yet. So I need to be smarter in my choices 
of program design. And I think that's where the questions start coming in. I don't know what to choose. Well, look at your assessments. If someone can't raise their hands over their head without compensating, then they're not ready to do an exercise that's raising their hands over their head loaded. And so at that point, what can I do for my shoulders? Well, you can do things in the scapular plane of motion. So instead of going straight up and down over your head and deflection, you're going more into the scapular plane, which is more of making a V when your arms are straight. That does not inquire or acquire. That does not mean that your lats have to fully be up into a lengthened position when you don't have that type of length at that moment. So there are certain ways to build up to that particular exercise. But if you see a compensation, shut it down and think of something different to do in its place. Yeah. And you'll know if you're doing a good job with your assessment into your potential corrective strategies or your warm up, if all of a sudden their movement starts to even temporarily get better, right? It's not going to be fixed with one session, but if I had an arch in my low back and I foam roll the right tissues and I stretch statically stretch the right tissues and I activate the right tissues, they should move better instantly, not permanently right then and there, but you'll know quickly if you're heading down the right path. So it's, it's another great way to, to check yourself, keep it simple, don't overthink it. And if it's working and they're getting better from that first corrective of strategies or warm up, you're on the right track. Yes. So the solutions table, here's an example of a solutions table that I've had since 2005, maybe, I don't know, but there have been a lot of variations of it, but I love this one. It's, it's very detailed. You can find one like this in the corrective exercise uh, on nasm.org when you're looking under solutions table, because that one is in more detail than the overhead squat that you might find from the CPT. So I would strongly suggest downloading this. Marty, I know that you and I both talked about in the very beginning. We had this with us all the time because you start learning it by seeing it over and over. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the things that saved me because now I can easily say, oh, yeah. And I, if I didn't know, I would look at the solutions table, foam roll this, stretch this, and then activate that. It says it on there, guys. So don't overthink it. Just use that solutions table. It tells you if you see this, then do that. It doesn't have to be stressful. And that's what I, I think sometimes people are like the rigid or the model's rigid, or I feel like it's very strict. Well, no, it's trying to help you minimize compensation so you can maximize strength and power later on. And you just have to be able to know what to do and when. But this is your guide, especially if you're new. So this is going to reduce your anxiety. Print it out and take it everywhere you go. Yeah. And think about other professionals, right? Like if you're have a lawyer, they might go back and research case law. They don't have everything memorized. If you have a physician, they may have to go back and look at something. No one's going to know, nor would they care if you're researching something. But the, you know, the problem I think with certifications, especially maybe more so in the fitness is any certification you sit for and take, please understand that it's showing that you're minimally required to start in the industry, not maximally competent. So if you don't have these aids around you as you start actually training people, there's no way we expected you to master all of that. We expected you to have enough knowledge to go start in the field, but that's why we give you references and guides to carry you through. That's why you have continuing education credits. So if you don't carry this around with you, I doubt you're going to really nail your program design because 
there's no way that you would have had all of this done and memorized and mastered probably, especially if you're new to the fitness industry without a previous background, use it. That's why it's there. Indeed. And I mean, there's times too, I'll ask you, Marty, like, hey, in this situation, I've tried this, this, and this, what would you do? And that's when it's important to be part of the NASM community, because we don't know all of the answers. We don't, but we know a lot of really smart people. And if we can't help you, we know there are other mentors or people we can ask, and you should feel the same. Marty and I might have a little more experience because we've been doing this for 20 plus years, utilizing this system and the model. I know it's scary to say, sorry, Marty. But it took time and practice. We were not really good in the very beginning either. Definitely weren't really good at presenting. We definitely weren't great at podcasting in the very beginning. And hopefully we are getting better there. Um, we'll see what our producer says. But it, everything takes practice. You were never good riding the bike the first time. You fell a few times and you got back on it and tried again. It's the same thing with the model. It takes time to get used to. It takes practice, understanding the whys and the rationales of why you're programming something. And then why do you have to do things slow? Why do we do it this way? Why are you, again, it's a guide. It's a guide to help you achieve a specific goal. So how do we use that guide? Look at the model. And within each phase in your book, it gives you an outline and a template. Here's how many reps to do. Here's how the, the tempo should be. And here are some examples, not all. This is not all inclusive. We did not make a book of all inclusive exercises. Here are some examples that you could use in core in activation. And here's some in, in balance and plyo. And here's some in resistance when you're in this particular phase. So people are like, but I want to do this exercise. Well, then do it. If you want to do it and it's, you know, it's a seated chest press and it's Monday and you want to do a chest press and it's you're in phase one do it. Just slow down the reps or, or the tempo and do more reps a little bit different. It's not unstable, but it might be unstable for some. And if you really have it in your heart where you want to do it, then do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what I've always said, and I've used this example, so I'll keep it short. Most of you've probably heard it is it's your, it's your cookbook. If you don't know how to cook you, and you're going to go do something in the kitchen, I hope you don't grab anything before the recipe. So this is what the OPT model is. It was never designed to be trained exactly like this with these whatever amount of exercises. It's to teach you a concept on how you can go out into the field and start to use that advanced knowledge to create recipes based on science. It's not just randomized. Let me go grab this, this, and this off the shelf and hope that when I put it together, it tastes okay. No, you know, we're trying to get you to become a better chef in a sense with exercise science and program design. So continue to use the model. It's evidence-based, which means it's, this is the way to get the best results. And very important about the recipe. If anyone cares on a side story, I tried to make cookies yesterday and I did not use the recipe book and they tasted terrible. So I spent all day cooking cookies and they went straight to the trash. Bam. See? See? Things that I try to do for my little guy. <laughs> he was home yesterday and so I that did not work out well. However, when you use the OPT model, I think it's important to be creative once you're comfortable with the concepts. Like you just said, Marty, concepts is important. Understanding the reason for us doing certain things at, at certain times. And so when I say be creative, but smart, that's what I mean by that. Don't choose the hardest exercises to start with because you want to set your client up for success, not failure. And you have to always go back to the goal. 
Are they trying to do weight loss? Well, okay, they are in phase one, but I'm doing things slow and I'm not lifting super heavy. And I heard the only way to lose fat is if I gain muscle, which, okay, that's not a thing, but you hear this all the time. Guys, in order to lift really heavy, you want to be really stable and you want to make sure you don't break down and hurt something like cause discomfort in the low back or cause impingement in the shoulder because they've got rounded shoulders and I'm just doing chest press and shoulder presses to make their arms look better and their chest look better, whatever the case may be. If they are a weight loss client and they have a lot of compensations, then do a vertical load program. Go one exercise after another, minimize the rest. You're doing more time under tension. You're going to burn a lot of calories when you do that. And you're going to be able to hit a lot of different muscles that are going to then be activated. And therefore, if you throw some metabolic stuff in there and cardio stuff in there as well, they're going to learn or start losing the weight even in phase one. And I think sometimes that's a hard concept for people to understand. And if you ask Marty and I these questions on Facebook, the first question that Marty and I we don't answer it because the first thing we say is, well, what did the assessment say? And it's like ghost town. And we're not doing that guys to, to try to say, we don't want to answer the question. We can't honestly help you answer that question unless you give us the information to provide good guidance to whatever it is we think is going on. So if you don't have the assessment information, we can't help you. No, no question. It's, you know, that's your starting point, right? You have to have that. If you're going to do this properly, if you're going to do this with uh, science, if you're going to do it looking for specific outcomes, you have to know where you're starting. And the assessment, of course, can be the other things that the client tells you. But I know we're talking about the movement assessments right now. And then, Wendy, going back to my three rules of fitness, the mm -hmm. first one is do no harm. Exercises have to be safe. No one wants to have a setback when they're exercising. The goal is to get healthier, not get injured. So I, we find it unacceptable. We know that if we're doing things the right way with the right type of exercises, you don't have to worry about that, especially if they're in the right phase of training. Then, you know, Wendy, I've said my second rule is give them what they want while you give them what they need. We've added client's choice. Let them have some level of participation in it. You can trick people into it um, if you need to. Like if Wendy said, hey, I want to work triceps, I might do a stability ball skull crusher because I know she needs more core and glute work. But for her, she's getting her triceps in. Great. It's, there's that win-win. Not every client would, will want that, but most will. And then you can design the world's greatest program, but if it's not being done, it's useless. It's just a piece of paper, right? So this is where you have to have fun. That's my third rule. You got to have motivation. You got to get people to be held accountable. And these are those top bullet points that will keep your job a little bit simpler but also highly impactful. And then both you and your clients are going to be successful in what your outcome is. Yes. And that kind of brings us to the key takeaways. I mean, Marty and I love talking about the model. We talk about it all the time. We break it up and we want to know if there are questions that we can help you with. So that's when we really want you to reach out to us and say, hey, this is a great topic. This is what I need to know. This is where I'm really confused. And that's kind of what brought us into Don't Overthink It today in the Master Instructor Roundtable. So at just overview of what we talked about, assessments, assessments, assessments. It gives you your guide. It gives you the blueprint on how they're moving. You know, because subjectively you've had the conversation, you've built the rapport, but what is the movement and quality of movement showing you in the assessments when you set them up a particular way? You're going to be allowed to dive deeper each and every time by looking at, okay, if the feet did this, that solutions table will say feet went out, 
here's what caused it, meaning this is what's overactive. Overactive means what do you roll? What do you stretch? And then what allowed it to happen? That's the weak step. That's the stuff you need to activate. And that's going to help readjust that foot from out back to straight. And so that a solutions table are going to tell you five kinetic chain checkpoints when you're doing the assessments, when you're doing your exercises. And if you start to see deviations, even in the movement of the exercises under resistance, constantly have them get back into proper alignment, re readjust, and then continue. If they keep compensating, then it's too difficult. And that's when the progressions and regressions are going to come back in, into play. Note everything you see during the assessments, even if it's slight, because they're only doing five to 10 different rep ranges or something. Well, some people don't get tired very easily doing just that, especially if they're a weekend warrior or they're an athlete. And so you may want to do more. So if you start to see the knee kind of wobble in, but you're not sure, write it down. It's not going to hurt to go through and roll your adductors and strengthen your adductors and then work on your hip abductors. Those are usually weakened people anyway. Again, solutions table, solutions table, solutions table. Let that be your guide. And then that's going to help design the programs. Open the book. If you see compensations, phase one, here's some exercises to do. In the very beginning, don't let the anxiety override you and think, well, what do I need to do with these guys? I'm just going to go and do all machines and do everything that everybody else does. You need to be creative, but you also want to be smart. So acute variables come into play. And then reassess every four to six weeks. If you didn't see something clean up and you're still seeing them move like a hot mess, then is it a programming thing? Is it a compliance thing? Are they not doing their homework like you're asking them to? And then you need to sit down and have a talk with them of, okay, we didn't hit our goal this week or this month. Why? Reassess, re-talk, you know, talk over and then start all over again. Yeah, great points. And uh, as we talked earlier, Wendy, every set of every, you know, every rep of every set is going to be an assessment. But the formal assessments, absolutely make sure you schedule those in so you can show people their progress because they kind of lose sight how far they've come sometimes. Yes. Without a doubt. Excellent. Well, Wendy, this was a great topic. I'm glad that someone reached out to you about this and I'm sure we'll have some follow up questions. You know, we will circle back. Sometimes we do a, a second part of things when we can kind of just touch on it. So, Wendy, if you can give these wonderful people your contact information so they can continue to reach out and tell us what they want us to talk about. Yes. Yeah, so if you want to email me, you can find me at wendy.bats at nasm.org or you can find me on Instagram at wendy.bats13. And my information is right here, dr.martymiller72 for Instagram and marty.miller at nasm.org for email. So Wendy, great job as always. And for all of you that joined us today, we can't thank you enough. Keep those questions coming. And we look forward to seeing you next week on the Master Instructor Roundtable.